The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Get out on the edge, push the limits, stand out, and achieve. Every day is like this for the heroes of action sports. Get ready to hear their stories today on the Edge Radio Show. Now here's your host, Hope. professional ski patroller, author, and journalist, Fire in the hole. Kim Kircher. The field of action sports should adopt Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. They should claim him as one of their own, putting his face on bumper stickers and splashing his book covers on websites, blogs, and Twitter hashtags. Because Csikszentmihalyi, a professor at Claremont Graduate University, invented the idea of flow. And getting into the flow is what action sports is all about. Csikszentmihalyi studies happiness, and flow provides our most optimal experiences. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi has spent his career studying what makes people happy. As a co-founder of Positive Psychology, he studies happiness, creativity, and motivation. According to Csikszentmihalyi, people are at their optimal happiness when they are in flow. This mental state is one of complete immersion mentally, physically, and emotionally. Action sports athletes often describe this flow state as a major motivation for participating in their sport. Mihai immigrated to the United States in his early 20s, earned his Ph.D. at the University of Chicago, and is now a distinguished professor at the, at the Claremont Graduate University. He spends his summers in Montana. Mihai, welcome to The Edge. Thanks for having me, Kim. So you've dedicated your career to finding what makes people truly happy, satisfied, and fulfilled. How did you choose this line of work? Well, um, it's hard to uh, be really very precise about one's own past, but it seems to me that it started very clearly when I was uh, 10 years old and I was uh, back in Europe and uh, um, the uh, war was ending and people were dying and everything was uh, upside down. People lost their jobs, their their lives. Uh, I had an older brother who was killed in the war and, and another one was captured and taken to Russia. And for many years, he was in the camps there. And... Uh, during that period, it kind of dawned on me that uh, grown-ups had no idea about how to live a good life. And it, it was uh, just very disconcerting at age 10 to realize that, grow, that the people who myself knew so much and uh, were in uh, important positions uh, and... Uh, were well-educated, but they had no idea about uh, what was happening and why it was happening, and they were kind of destroyed, most of them, by the events. And uh, yet there were a few who seemed to be able to keep a kind of a 
head on their shoulders, and uh, despite all the uh, tragedies around, were able to be useful to others and to themselves, and had a grasp on how to make things a little better if possible. And so that that um, I was wondering why that was happening because it was the education. Uh, they weren't the people I respected at the end of the war were not the rich ones or the well-educated, or uh, very often they were not the ones who had a, uh, went to church every every Sunday and so forth. But they seemed to have something that uh, was an integrity, a purpose, a clarity of vision that was different from that of other people, and, and I was trying to figure out how what the secret of that way of living was, and so I read uh, a lot of philosophy, history, and religion, and all the things that supposedly tell you how to live, but uh, there were good good things in each of those traditions that I was exploring, but um, none of them seemed very conclusive in, in the sense of being something that you could really believe in and trust. And so um, I, I kind of discovered psychology as a attempt of understanding more scientific or more clearly what motivates people and, and what makes them act in the ways they do. And so that uh, got me to start reading psychology, and then I got my degree in psychology when I emigrated back out here to the United States, and uh, and psychology really didn't dealt with these issues either. They, they were much more kind of um, um, interested in, in short-term uh, behavior and stimulus response psychology was the leading brand at the time when I was in school. But uh, So I tried to figure out, well, is there, a, can we apply, expand psychology a little bit more to understand these important issues in life, what makes life worth living, what keeps people from falling apart when the external supports of their personality led their jobs their their property would be lost and they still go and function and and are uh, useful so that's that was the beginning of my uh, interest in in understanding human behavior and um, so for instance I, I wrote my dissertation and Creativity, thinking that uh, that may help to understand things, and I studied the artists, and I, after, uh, after a while, I studied scientists too, and so forth. And and one thing I I realized there is that um, psychology, in fact, was not uh, aware of one thing that. That was very important, namely that when people were doing things that they really 
express their strength, their interest, their curiosity. When they were doing that, they did not need so much external rewards like money or fame or something, but they were happy with their lives as they were living uh, their life fully in in sync with their own skills, whether for an athlete it would be to perform physically, for a poet would be to put together words in a way that people would pay attention to and say, gee, I never thought of that. For a painter it would be to, to create a work that they could look at and say, yeah, that, that's the best I can do with the color, and I really like what I did. So those, those moments of being able to do what you are good at and you are free to do it, you are not forced to do something else instead, those, those times seemed uh, uh, to produce a, a kind of a complete engagement with life that was uh, enough to get the people to say, yes, this is what I want to do, this is the kind of life I want to lead. And everything else became less important. And if you lost your money in the process, uh, it was something you you didn't like for sure, but it wouldn't destroy you in the sense of saying, okay, I, I lost everything I worked for and now I have nothing else. And so that uh, that experience of being completely engaged with life, is that flow? The full engagement in what you're doing is essentially what flow is about. It means that you have a, a goal that you want to achieve and you know step by step what the next, uh, next action, the next uh, thing should be like. You know, if you're if you're playing a musical instrument, a guitar, or whatever, you know what the next chord should be. So you're focusing uh, your attention on, on the next, and uh, what the figure should do in the next second and uh, down the line. Or if you're playing tennis, your attention is, is focused on the ball and on the serve of the uh, and. You know where you want the ball to go, and you you, you try try to make it go there. And um, so, whatever you're doing, it could be physical, could be mental. You you have a purpose. You're trying to achieve it, and you see yourself. You get feedback to your actions. Like you know, if you play an instrument, you hear what you're doing, and and you can correct yourself so that it gets better. And, gets more like what you want to do. Uh, and the same with, with uh, playing tennis. You can see that the ball is not going where you want to do and, and you correct your shot the next time and so forth. So the this ability to have a clear goal, getting feedback for your actions is what keeps your attention focused on the activity. And it allows you to do the best that you can. You you can um, 
keep improving, keep uh, making uh, what you're doing more like what you would like it to be. And uh, during that period, you are not really thinking about anything else. You have to be focused on what you're doing because if you start thinking about any anything else, you get distracted and you're not good anymore at what you're doing. So that um, focused engagement with what you're doing is what what produces this sense of I'm alive, I'm really doing what, what I'm, I want to do and I feel that I am doing it and my mind and my body is all involved in trying to achieve this thing and, and that is such a good feeling that once you have it doing either sports or an intellectual activity or artistic activity, you do it and you want to do it again. You say, yeah, this this is what life should be like and you try to reproduce it again and Absolutely, yeah. You want to you want to keep going with that being in the flow. Yeah. yeah what What can we do in our lives to create more flow? I mean, what what kinds of things do we need to do on just a daily basis to just be more in the flow? Well, you know, we are all different. We all have different strengths. There is no one recipe that will uh, work for everyone. So, the best thing to do is to um, try to be a little uh, uh, mindful of what your life is like and maybe at the end of the day try to write down what was the best moment in your life uh, that day and uh, maybe also if you want put down what was the most uh, boring or meaningless things that you were doing that day. And then after a week or two, you should look back at what you have written and begin to ask yourself, now, why am I doing all these things that uh, make me feel bored or worried or just uh, meaningless? And why can't I do a little bit more of those things that uh, I found to give me this energy, this feeling of being engaged with life. And if you can begin to to be your own, um, uh, you know, psychologist or your own coach, you can begin to make a change. And this is generally how people do it. It's not because someone told them to do it. It's either because by accident they did something that they never thought they would be doing and, and they say, Wow, this this really is what I would what makes me feel that I'm alive, that I'm I'm good at something and then they they start building on that experience and they try to develop more skills. Um, either that or you observe your own uh, actions, your own life. And if there is nothing in your life that really stands out as being something you like to do, then you have to think back maybe at 
that you wanted to do when you were younger that you say, no, I can't do that. I, it's not for me to do that kind of stuff. Or, or, uh, and try, try some other things. Uh, try some of those things that, you know, when you were 15 or, or, or 12, you liked to do or you wanted to do and you didn't do. And try it out now and see whether that's a little better than what you have. Because generally, <clears throat> most people do have a few things. You, you never notice. For instance, I, um, I was, uh, years ago, I went to a hospital, mental hospital in uh, the Netherlands where a friend of mine was the director of psychiatrist of this um, big hospital, and most of the patients there were schizophrenics who had been diagnosed uh, fairly early in life and had been there for 20, 30 years, and, and their life was essentially, uh, you know, just uh, shuffling from one room to the, to the other and watching TV and nothing um, being sedated, and uh, it's a terrible situation. But he realized that occasionally during the day, some of those patients seem to be kind of coming alive and, and changing into normal people for a while, but, but it never lasted too long, and then uh, they fell back in their kind of catatonic or, or state. And so he, he applied some of our techniques for measuring how people felt. And he asked the schizophrenics to take every, um, during the day, at random times, they were asked to run down how they felt and what they thought. And most of the time, they, they wrote something garbled that didn't make any sense. But occasionally, what they wrote down made, was at least grammatically, you know, coherent. And you could see that they were thinking like like a, a person who, who, was, who had no problems. And, um, for instance, he, he introduced me to a woman who had been there for, like, 17 years and uh, was considered, was assumed to be there for the rest of her life. There was no, uh, nothing that they did that helped her. And the, so the psychiatrist found out that this woman um, was writing coherently and expressing um, almost positive feelings um, twice during the week that they were that she was keeping this uh, diary, and um, he noticed that both times uh, she had been uh, cutting her fingernails. So she uh, he thought, what can we lose, right? Let's try to 
um, teach her to um, have a manicurist come in the hospital and and show this woman how to uh, you know push the cuticles back and cut, cut them and then um, the various things that manicurists do to make the nails well. To make a long story short, after a few weeks, this woman was doing the nails of all the other patients, and then after a, a couple of months, she was doing the nails of the staff, and she had recovered so well that after half a year, then they let her back to to her apartment where she lived, and, and she put out this uh, shingle saying, Manicures, etc. They had, <laughs> wow. uh, they had this. Um, they had a nurse coming in first, uh, twice a day, and then twice a week, and then finally she was on her own, and she seemed to be normal. Uh, she, she wasn't, uh, you know, dancing in the street or anything, but she was <laughs> completely normal and could talk and describe her uh, what what was happening. To her. And, That's and really interesting. That's really now, interesting. See, in the kind of traditional psychiatrist would say, okay, so what happened? Why did this woman um, somehow attach such a central importance to cutting fingernails? And maybe you could find childhood things and, and you know, repressed... Uh, uh, fears of castration or whatever, you know. And, but he didn't try to do that. He tried to say, you know, what, what does this woman, for whatever reasons, uh, this woman seems to have a better grasp on, on the world and feel better when she is doing this one thing. Now, we we probably will never know why, but at least we can try to build around it something that will make her um, uh, life much, <laughs> I mean, a thousand times better than being, uh, you know, in this hospital world. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's so, take, Mihai, let's take a short break. Sure. And when we come right back, we're going to talk more about the personality of happiness. Yep. Okay. We're good. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Crystal Mountain Resort is Washington State's largest and premier ski area. With 10 lifts and over 50 named trails, you can spend days exploring the mountain. From wide-open bowls and steep chutes for the more adventurous to family-friendly cruisers, you're sure to find something for everyone. The new eight-passenger gondola takes you 2,500 vertical feet to the best view of Mount Rainier and the Summit House Restaurant, where the food rivals the scenery. Convenient slopeside accommodations make Crystal Mountain Resort the perfect skier's getaway. Open for skiing until June. Learn more at crystalmountainresort.com. 
Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bench his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You're listening to The Edge with Kim Kircher. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to KimberlyKircher at gmail.com. Now, back to The Edge. Welcome back to The Edge, where I'm talking to psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. So, Mihai, is there a particular flow personality, some people who are more likely or easily getting into flow than others? Yeah, um, I'm convinced of that, but we still don't have a very good handle on how to measure it. Um, Some people we know are too worried about how other people look at them and uh, their self-consciousness is so high that they can never lose themselves completely in, in whatever they are doing because they're always uh, are conscious of, of their actions and the impression they make or what people, even if they are alone, they think, okay, so let's say I'm, uh, I'm trying to, to paint this uh, painting, but what will happen once? People look at it uh, in a gallery or a show and so forth, and you're trying to to make sure that people will like it, and in the process, you lose the, the involvement that's needed to really either feel good while you're painting or to do a painting that reflects yourself rather than the audience that you are anticipating. So that self-consciousness is, is certainly one thing that uh, is bad. Some people are so uh, have been hurt. Uh, see, okay, at first I I say you know that probably uh, people who have been abused as children and had a very uh, uh, traumatic childhood will have a hard time later to. Uh, because they have, they're still worrying, worried, too worried about being hurt and so forth. But after I wrote that uh, a couple of books, I, I get so many letters from readers who say, you know, I've, I've been abused. I've had all kinds of problems, but actually, you know, I I find uh, uh, that I can get in flow doing this thing or that thing, and. When I do that, I feel completely healed and, and uh, uh, you know, just 
so I, uh, it's hard to know. Uh, people are resilient, and uh, they can overcome the the this um, inhibitions to to experience flow. But still, I do. T- we know that from the research we do that some people are much more likely to be in flow. But it's hard to know. Going back to what why that is happening because uh, their histories are, you know, uh, 20, 30 years before, who knows exactly what happened. And, and maybe, as in so many other things, there is a genetic component that makes it more uh, easy to get lost in your activities. And, mm-hmm. um, a lot of extreme sports athletes uh, will say that uh, when they are engaged in their sport, they're doing it because of that sense of, you know, losing themselves and, and it's the place where they feel the happiest, you know, and, and there's sort of that sense of meaning in their lives. And also at the same time, extreme sports athletes are oftentimes called adrenaline junkies. But listening to you talk, it makes me wonder if maybe they're flow junkies. I mean, is this something that you could get addicted to and, and really need in your life? Um, well, yeah, that we haven't found. I mean, it's, but for instance, the uh, one interesting thing is that um, there is a, a gender difference in the sense that women very often feel guilty about being in flow. You know, they say, I have too many responsibilities. I have always to think about what will happen, you know, uh, make plans for what what I have to cook tonight and whether we have enough in the fridge and I have to do, I, I also work outside so I have to pay attention to work and I have to think about how the children are doing and what I should do to help them when I get home. So I, I'm too busy with all of these other things um, to get lost in anything. For, and if I do, I feel bad because I say, oh, I should, I should have been doing something else. Uh, not, uh, it's almost like they feel they are, they are uh, being, uh, they're taking something away from others by gratifying their own well-being, you know. And this is this this I know you know I noticed uh, both in, in our research, but every time I talk in public, uh, usually women uh, in the audience would ask, "But isn't that kind of selfish to to lose yourself when you have so many other things to to do?" Um, Men uh, never ask that question. <laughs> and that, I think, is, is uh, one thing to keep in mind because um, I think uh, we do expect women to, uh, you know, well, there is that very old saying, right, that uh, men work from uh, dawn to dusk by the women's work is never done or something and, and that I think is is a, a thing that uh, 
I don't know what to do about it, but it's it's there. And then the um, question of yeah, I, I mean in general, if you have uh, if you're brought up with the expectation that you have to follow what others tell you and that you you need to to just listen to what your job is and not not think about anything else um, when you when you're brought up that way and and you never think of yourself as being a kind of a captain of your own soul then uh, it's very difficult to end up uh, experiencing so because you always say well that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do X and Y and not uh, not uh, indulge in feeling good about my life. And that's that's a problem. Yeah, I'll, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think, though, that people can become, you know, the opposite where they do get engaged in so much flow that they feel like they're doing that more than what, you know, maybe there are duties in their, the rest of their life that they should be paying attention to, but instead they just want to go out and do something that gets them into flow? Yeah, there are there are two, two problems about flow that one needs to realize. One is that uh, what you're saying, naming it, it, it becomes uh, so addictive in a sense, the activity, that you don't uh, learn to enjoy anything else, and then, uh, or that you you fall down on on your responsibilities, um, of which, I mean, we we all need to to be responsible for. Uh, many areas of life, uh, and if if you just uh, go off uh, to to gratify yourself without uh, that that is the other danger. Yeah, that 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 is uh, obviously one thing we need to worry about, and the other one is also that. You may get flow from things that um, are not good for you in the long run, or not um, you know that feel good, but uh, it's not uh, it uh, undermines your ability to live a good life later on, either because it's dangerous or because it's addictive to something which is uh, dangerous and. Uh, the um, so it's it's true. You have to learn to invest your energy in something that is going to help you in the long run. So you have to have a, a sense of life being something that um, will change. And and you, for instance. I mean, let's talk about. Uh, I have some students who are professional, were professional athletes who got hurt or could not do it anymore, and and now still young, you know, uh, late twenties, early thirties, and uh, suddenly what 
they spent all their life doing and enjoying to a certain extent and also getting a lot of recognition from Now that's suddenly taken away from them. Now what can they do? And unfortunately, a lot of them fall apart at that point, and they are... Um, they don't uh, experience flow anymore. They they don't experience uh, the external rewards that come, and so they they end up either you know alcoholic, drug addicts. They, they get divorced. They they fall, and there's a spiral of of kind of uh, uh, self destruction almost going on there, and it happens to to executives who are CEOs of companies and at the end towards the end of their career they have to retire and and they never did anything else that they enjoyed as much as uh, running a, a company or doing uh, big deals uh, financially and so forth and now they they have no no fall back, they, they can't experience flow or anything uh, anymore because they don't have the skills to, to re, uh, relate to many other challenges in their environment. Because, see, the one thing that we didn't mention about flow is that the um, uh, one of the conditions that makes it possible is that you that you are facing some challenges or opportunities which are more or less in balance with what you can do. And that balance of challenge and skill is a very important issue. So you develop your skills as a banker and now you became a very rich and effective banker because you built up your skills in that area. Now, for whatever reason, you have to retire. Um, and then that, that flow is no longer available to you. because It's no that, longer available, yeah. and you don't have the skills to enjoy anything else. You mm-hmm. Because you have to have skills to enjoy good books, to, to read good books and enjoy them. It takes skills. It, takes the mental skill of uh, Im- uh, immersing yourself in the world that the author has created for you, and you think about yourself being in that world, and and you experience what a person who actually did live in that world they would experience. And that, that can be very powerful flow experience, but a lot of people don't don't know how to do that. They don't have the uh, the habit of um, imagining uh, alternatives to the hard reality they are in. They think that's mm. an escape. And, well, it can be an escape if that's all you do is read novels. You know, that, that would be an escape. But, but to be able to enjoy them occasionally, you have to have the skill. And then that's a flow experience there. Another one would be listening to good music. Again, you need to have some skill, and that particular uh, 
type of music that you're listening. Otherwise, it's, it's just kind of grating noise. It's, it's not something that creates pleasure. Or Absolutely. You have to have the skill to appreciate those those things, and then you can meet those challenges by understanding and and appreciating the the music and the you know the or the book or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. Let's uh, let's take a short break, and we're going to find out after this break. We'll find out more about positive psychology. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Crystal Mountain Resort is Washington State's largest and premier ski area. With 10 lifts and over 50 named trails, you can spend days exploring the mountain. From wide open bowls and steep chutes for the more adventurous to family-friendly cruisers, you're sure to find something for everyone. The new eight-passenger gondola takes you 2,500 vertical feet to the best view of Mount Rainier and the Summit House Restaurant, where the food rivals the scenery. Convenient slopeside accommodations make Crystal Mountain Resort the perfect skier's getaway. Open for skiing until June. Learn more at crystalmountainresort.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're listening to The Edge with Kim Kircher. If you have a question or comment for our show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to KimberlyKircher at gmail.com. Now, back to The Edge. Welcome back. I'm Kim Kircher, and I'm talking to happiness expert Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. So, Mihai, you co-founded the field of positive psychology. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, um, it, it all happened by almost by accident, although probably it was predetermined in some sense. I, my wife and I uh, took a vacation for a week in Hawaii 15 years ago, and we... Um, we uh, stayed at a resort, and uh, I was swimming. And uh, the first day, the second day that we were there, and I ran into um, a, a guy who looked familiar, and he came up and said, "Aren't you Mihai uh, Chiksemiai?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." And uh, it turned out he was. Uh, Marty Seligman, who is a professor at a University of Pennsylvania, um, and um, um, 
We started talking. We had a week. He was staying at the same resort with his wife. And so we spent a lot of time talking about what's missing in psychology. And the reason this was a big issue for him is that he had just been elected to be the next president of the American Psychological Association. And he was concerned about leaving a legacy, you know, using the year as president to make a difference in the field of psychology. And so we were saying, what is really missing? And, and it turned out that we agreed very much on the fact that psychology had been so focused on pathology and what's wrong with people and what, how to help people who are in distress or, or things that go wrong that in the meantime, they, it had forgotten, psychologists had forgotten that there were also good things in life. There were moments when you feel really elevated, excited, uh, happy, and uh, that there were things like courage and uh, gratitude, good things that people did, not just, uh, you know, violence and... and uh, uh, and the, the, the thing that um, psychology had assumed in the past 50 years or so was that everything uh, in human behavior is uh, motivated by some few kind of uh, animalistic uh, instincts, uh, you know, sex and violence, those were the the things that were real about human beings. The rest was just denial or kind of uh, uh, trying to prettify uh, life by pretending that there are other nice things. But the real things were all kind of pretty brutal and, and brutish. And um, so we said, yeah, well, uh, what's wrong? Why, why is that happening? And, to make a long story short, we decided that whatever the reason was, it could be changed. And we thought that we had uh, to uh, add to the existing psychology uh, a, a different perspective, which was we ended up calling positive psychology. It's not the best uh, term, but it kind of describes uh, the basic difference that we thought we wanted to implement or to, to the study of things that go on. To make a long story short, okay, so um, that uh, we started, uh, we wrote a, an article together which appeared in the uh, journal of uh, the American Psychologist, which is the kind of major journal, and uh, uh, it has been since cited by other psychologists about 6,000 times, that article. So it became a, a kind of a marker of a change in uh, the way that people looked at, the, uh, the psychologists looked at what's possible to do. And, and one of the main ideas behind positive psychology isn't that it's about it's about making your life better, not just focusing on the negative. Is that is that a good way of putting it? Well, yeah, 
making life better is kind of the downstream thing that we want to achieve. But before we can make life better, we have to understand more about what is good in life and what people can, uh, how do people get to do things that are good for them and for others. And instead of just looking at what is going badly. So once you know that, then you can begin applying it and saying, okay, if that's true, if kids need, for instance, uh, much more physical activity in school and there should be more, uh, and if people feel happier when they see trees around them or when they are out in nature, if that's true, what's the implication of that, for instance? let's say, for schools or for work. And then you can begin to to make a difference that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there's an, also another part of that, and that is intrinsic motivation. Um, can you explain that, and, and is it something that we can learn? Sorry, learn what? Learn how, you know, intrinsic, you talk about intrinsic motivation, oh, being intrinsically yeah. motivated. Is, can you explain that a little bit? And is it something that we can learn to do? Yeah, intrinsic motivation, basically, uh, I mean, there are two ways to use that term, but the way I understand it is that uh, there are certain things we do because we like doing them, because we think they're worth being done or because they feel good to do them. And others we do simply in order to get something else later for it. For instance, you can have a job that you actually like doing. You look forward to it. You are intrinsically motivated to do it. But most people, the job is something they do only because they need the check at the end of the month or whatever, the end of the week. That's the only reason. The, The work itself they don't like. They they wish they could do something else, but they have to do it in order to get the check. Now, again, here um, you can learn to to be intrinsically motivated, even doing the <clears throat> most kind of boring jobs. I was surprised how people on this, a few people on the assembly line could get uh, a real challenge out of cutting down the the time they took to do this movement that they have to do over and over, let's say, you know, adjusting a piece on a a piece of an engine that comes down the assembly line and all they had to do was uh, put in a couple of screws and, and that was their job. You know, over and over. But some people say, hey, you know, I could do this a little better, and I have my goal is that in half a year I will do, I will have shaved five seconds of what I'm doing, and um, nobody else knows that he's doing it, and he's just uh, kind of setting out a goal that he can accomplish, and then he feels good about it. And that uh, is not motivated because he's not getting more money for it. He's not motivated because the foreman tells him 
good good man you're doing this since it it won't help anyway because the line is going at its own speed. So whether you do it fast or slow, as long as you do it within the parameters of the job, that's all they care about. But you care about it because you think you can do it better, faster, and then uh, that is the intrinsic part. The intrinsic is you are um, doing it the job as well as you can because you are challenged by that thing. You you want to do it well and you try to do it for its own sake, not in order to get something out of it later on. And if you can do see, for instance, we studied surgeons. Surgeons are very motivated by the fact they get paid a lot and they they are very respected because they're surgeons. But we find that unless they are also intrinsically motivated, they can't do the, their surgery for long before, or they get, you know, uh, they start getting on drugs, they start going to, uh, if they are not intrinsically motivated at their job, they go to the casinos in Vegas and, and get play until... Uh, and then they slowly lose their edge and, and uh, they can't do it anymore, even though they get a lot of money from it and, and respect, but unless the work itself they can find intrinsically, there's in, inside the job they find something that is that keeps them uh, motivated to do it well and to to make sure that they do the best they can because this is what they are proud of, of being, being a surgeon who can do the job well. Then yeah. it's bad for them and it's bad for their patients. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I think that that goes back, you know, to to flow and being um, being in the flow and finding those moments um, to yeah, you yeah. know for your well, reward. Flow is uh, that's. Uh, flow is the experience of being intrinsically motivated. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how it feels. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Mihai, it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Thanks so much for joining me. Sure. That was a pleasure, Kim. Thanks. Thanks for having me, okay? Yeah, yeah. Okay. This past winter, a ski patrol friend of mine talked me into signing up for the Queen of the Hill freeride skiing competition. I mean, I'm over 40 now. Do I really need to be jumping off cliffs and competing against a bunch of ladies with knees at least a decade younger? Probably not. But it sounded like a good idea at the time. Besides, I knew my husband would be watching from below, and it seemed important that at least he saw me as the Queen of the Hill. So I signed up. The venue wasn't even that challenging. I'd skied this line many times, and a little mandatory air never hurt anyone, or so it seemed. When I scoped out my line during the pre-comp inspection, I decided I'd see how I felt at the time. I could either air off the cliff at the bottom or veer left into the chute. Either way, it was a respectable line. When the time came, I didn't think about the jump. I thought only about each turn. The way the snow sloughed away from the edges of my skis in slithery clumps, the smooth sound of consistent turns as I smeared the ridge above the chute. I didn't even think about it. I just hit the cliff, tucked my knees into my chest, and kept my hands forward. 
I was accelerating a little too fast and knew I had to stick the landing. I aimed for the smoothest snow, not that I could really control my trajectory flying through the air. I hit the snow and kept turning all the way to the runout. The run lasted a few minutes, but felt much longer. It felt like hours. And it was all flow. Looking back on it, with my husband congratulating me and the event organizing uh, organizer assuring me that I'd had the best run so far, I decided it was worth it to push myself every once in a while, to align my skills with the challenge, allowing my actions to merge with the environment and ride the pure wave of flow. That's all the time I have for today. Join me next time on The Edge. Thanks for joining us this week on The Edge. Please tune in next Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel as Kim Kircher talks with another standout who lives life on The Edge. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.